begin today by just letting you all know that we're, Lo and I are in Soul Center today. We had a meeting earlier this morning. Normally we're, we're not here in the, in the sanctuary, um, but we were, we're playing at Soul Center all day today. So we are broadcasting from Soul Center. But we meet just online with all of you. And for anyone who is tuning in uh, for the first time or if it's been a minute, we're starting a new theme for the month of February. For the month of January, we uh, did a really amazing exploration of the Satipatthana Sutra and all about focusing of mindfulness on the body and the six body practices associated with that. And it's just a wonderful reminder that when you're activated for whatever reason, you can always return reliably to the body as a source of awareness, attention, and healing. For the month of February, we're going to explore this Pali word, which is the word sada. S-A-D-D-H-A. And sada means faith. But as I mentioned yesterday in the introduction, it isn't the faith that we think about in the typical Western mind, which is faith external to ourselves, faith in something else, something bigger, something higher is a very common thing. That is not uh, a Buddhist practice. In Buddhism, the faith that we are cultivating is within ourselves. And so sada is the cultivation of trust, of confidence, of softening the edges that have hardened our hearts and mind Uh, giving rise to the distortions and the mental formations that suggest we cannot be trusted. We cannot trust our own inner wisdom. Buddhism says that is samsara, that is suffering, it is untrue. And so when we come together and practice and we look at our Buddha nature, which is good-hearted, wise, loving, compassionate, joyful, equanimous. That's who we really are. We can awaken fully to the conditions of our suffering and we do have the capacity to become Buddhas. And so today, what I'm going to do is something audacious. And I'm not even nervous about it. I'm a little nervous, maybe. I have somebody in my voice that's like, Julia, they've kind of got their arms crossed, like, huh, Julia, who are you to do this? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm just me to do this. And I feel, it feels audacious. So what I'm going to do is the there's something called sada dharma and the most famous sada dharma heart led sutra in the buddhist teachings is something called the lotus sutra and one of the things in the lotus sutra 
are stories, parables. The Buddha, according to legend, loved to teach by telling stories. So what I have done today, audaciously, is I've taken one of the most famous Buddhist parables called The Burning House, and I have rewritten it, Julia style. So <laughs> just know that that's happening today. Notice that I have just taken 2,500 years of legacy, and I've made it my own. Because frankly, that is what the Buddha is telling us to do. At the end of the day, the Buddha is saying, don't have faith in me alone. Have faith in you. Take this teaching and make it come alive for you. And bring that into the world and see what happens. Have a good heart about it and see what happens. So with that, Let's begin. This is the parable of the burning house in the Lotus Sutra as it lives in me. Allow your bodies, friends, to assume a posture that feels strong and at ease. Maybe close your eyes if you'd like to. Maybe if you're coming to this meeting, you're arriving and, and what has propelled you here is a degree of stress and tension. Maybe take a moment to move the body in very gentle ways that Invite the body to relax. I often have to roll my neck very gently or move my shoulders because for whatever reason, that's where stress seems to land and stay. Hopefully many of you have a refreshing glass of water or lemonade, a nice warm cup of tea or coffee to enjoy in this practice, maybe even a, a wonderful little healthy snack. Take a moment to breathe and really sink into the idea of sada, a heart-led life that enables you to trust in your own wisdom to be curious, to be open and spacious with yourself, to have faith that you have within you resilience to get up should you fall. You have resources within you to seek help, to humble yourself, to put aside the immature ego and act from a place of integrity and self-regard that says, hey, I'm in a tight spot and need help. Remember, friends, that whenever we're in a posture to receive, we always afford another an opportunity to be giving. And it feels so good to give. 
So when you receive, you give others chances to be giving. Beautiful. One day, there were children playing in a large house belonging to their very wealthy father. The children were so consumed and distracted by their play that when a fire broke out into the house, they were stunned. They wouldn't have known it way back then, but their bodies were in a sympathetic nervous response and they were frozen. It was as if the fantasy of their play could not fathom the reality unfolding before their very eyes. The smoke the crackle, and then soon the screams of their father to get out of the house. The three children sat frozen in the parlor, clinging to their toys. Their dad finally rattled them out of their stupor, out of their shock, and was trying to entice them to move. He wasn't able to carry them all at once, so he kept trying to drag them, but they, it was almost like they were anchored in. So he was enticing them outside, kids are all their favorite things. There are books out there. There are dolls outside. Your dolls are outside. Your bike is outside. Go, run, go to your favorite things. That was enough to shift the kids' attention. And when they arrived outside, they looked around. There were no books, there were no dolls, and there was no bike. The only thing standing there was their father with his arms spread wide, anchored strong on the good earth, and to him they all went and were received in a gentle embrace as their house burned to the ground. The Buddha, after he told his version of this story, said, as legend says, that he is a little like this father a father of all sentient beings. 
that in order to get them out of the burning confusion of samsara, the bewilderment and stunning shock, he has to entice them or remind them of enticements. Like a disciple found in the wisdom of a book or reminders that there are enlightened beings walking amongst amongst us whom we can cherish like a beloved doll. Or there are bodhisattvas that we can admire whose awakening, whose devotions and participations can propel us on our own journeys like riding a bike. In the Lotus Sutra, these three beloved things are called vehicles, but in actuality, the Sutra says there is but one vehicle, and that is the Buddha, nature, within us all, waiting to receive us with wide open arms of limitless loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. This is called the Buddha-yana or the Ikayana. And it is the gentle reminder that Buddhahood is within us all. We are all capable of awakening to become Buddhas. Each of us, by peeling the layers of the lotus flower, can arrive to the limitless qualities of our bodhicitta, the limitless qualities of our Buddha nature, and awaken from the conditions of our confusion, our freezing, our fleeing and fighting, to soften, to open, to lead with the heart. And in doing so, we become like this father that guides others out of the burning homes in their own lives.
friends, what keeps me inspired about parables like this is the reminder that the extraordinary is intimately connected to the ordinary. Thich Nhat Hanh used to speak about this when he would say things like, I don't think it's a miracle that anyone walks on water. I think the real miracle is when people are present to the water. The Buddha's amazing awakening to the causes and conditions of his own suffering and by extension, suffering in general, are the same exact experiences that you and I contend with on a regular basis. In the world of recovery, we call it craving. The Buddha called it mara, temptations, stirrings, emotional activation, triggers, traumas, all of it taunting him, teasing him, yanking his chain constantly every single day of his life because he was a human being just like you and me. And one of the most extraordinary things that he did, as far as I'm concerned, is he didn't look for other gurus or other teachers to validate him or affirm his way of doing things. He tested them out for himself. And at the end of the day, in those final taunts, those mean-spirited little demons that haunted him and threatened the peace of his own inner landscape, he took his hands and he touched the earth. And he said, so simply, so ordinary, he said, The earth is my witness. How many of us have the heart, have the clarity of mind, have the openness to contend with all of those inner critic voices, all of those taunts and pulls and teases and attachments that we have? How many of us can put that down, can put that aside and go stop and with a full heart touch the earth and say, I'm going to live my life. I'm going to awaken to the conditions and causes of suffering in my life. And the earth is my witness to it. We are all, each of us, invited to practice this. The Buddha lives in us. The Buddha's teachings and his legacy lives in us and through us. The Sangha, the community of wise friends are here to inspire and encourage and challenge us. The earth is our witness. May we awaken 
to the majesty of life and the magnificence within each of us exactly as we are. So I'd like to um, end our practice today with a dedication of merit. And I'd like to bring forward, many of you know that I am um, highly devoted to the work of Shantideva, who was an 8th century monk, who was a really terrible student. <laughs> at this university and and he was terrible because he just didn't fall in line like everybody wanted him to and he would kind of go off and do his own thing and he would study in his own way and the story the legend goes of Shantideva that one day all of the students who were just fed up with him like this know-it-all show-off blah 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 who is he to not show up to class that kind of thing they decided to set him up with a challenge. And he brought the, he, they invited him for sort of a debate. And before the entire student body and all the teachers, Shantideva was like, okay, you know, tell us, Mr. Know-it-all, what you know of all of these Buddhist principles and teachings. And he said, well, would you like me to recite what we've all been learning here, or would you like to all hear something new? And they were like, oh, fine, we'll hear something new. What have you learned? You never show up, so what's your story? So Shantideva took a deep breath and proceeded to share with everybody this original idea of the way of the Bodhisattva. 37 trainings, amazing, without stop, without notes, he just presented it to the student body. Everybody just shocked, eyes wide, mouths open. Reminders that we all have the capacity to train, to study, to live our Buddha nature, to be the bodhisattvas that we were created to be. And the last line of Shantideva's prayer is something that really sings my own soul. And that is our dedication today. For as long as suffering is in the world, for as long as suffering remains in sentient beings. May I too remain to help dispel the misery of the world. 
this is an invitation, friends, to never forget your light. And may it shine brightly, may it shine shyly even, in any places that are dark and haunting. Thank you for your beautiful practice. We'll see you next time. Namaste.